Thank you for joining us for a life-changing message from Norm Oberlin, pastor of Mount Hope Church in beautiful Gaylord, Michigan. Our prayer is that this message will help strengthen and encourage your walk with Christ. Please enjoy. And now, here is Pastor Norm. No more will I tolerate the evil that man does. Do you realize that? He does have a threshold. The flood reveals God's holy nature. You do know that, right? God is holy, and those that love him must be holy. His inability to tolerate sin is evident throughout the Bible. When man refused to repent toward the things of God, it eventually leads to a cleansing. He cleanses it, and that's what we see in the flood story. Now, this should put a holy fear in all of us. I said this should put a holy fear in all of us because there are teachings out there today that say you can just go on doing whatever you do any way you want to do it, God's going to forgive you. And I believe that there is a level of forgiveness there. By grace we are saved, not by works. But there's also a side for us to participate with that sanctification process, that daily walking it out with him. And if we're just going out living like we're going to hell, you're going to go to hell. Don't expect God to go, oh, yeah, you're in. You, you prayed the prayer once. Come on. Is that evident in Scripture? I don't believe it is. When man sins, when man continues to sin, it can bring judgment against a nation or, in this case, against the whole world. Amen? The same wickedness that caused God to judge the world during Noah's day is happening again today. We're seeing it lived out right in front of us. Man has become corrupt and is going against the natural order of things. We're aborting our babies. That's murder. All right? We're living with each other out of wedlock. A woman's lying with another woman, a man with another man. That's sexual sin, according to the Bible. And hear me. When I stand up here, I'm not condemning these people. God's word is what I'm standing on. And I want you to know this. There's been a lot of stuff going on in the schools and so on where some of these people who are practicing homosexuals or whatever the case may be, that they're being picked on, that they're being bullied. You know what? If I were in that school, I would be standing up for those young people because they're still God's children. However, I cannot accept the behavior because God's Word doesn't accept the behavior. And I don't believe that there's a gay gene that has not been proven, even though they try to convince us it has. It's a choice. Just like committing adultery or drinking too much is a choice. It's just like the days of Noah. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 24. I've shared this many times through this message, but it's so important that we get this in our heart. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets 
and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. And this, that is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Jesus said in this passage that the world is going to be unaware of his return. I believe we're at that place. So many have turned their backs. So many believers have allowed their hearts to grow cold toward the things of God. They've listened to the teachings of the world, the temptations, the passions, and they've allowed those things to influence them in a negative way. God's coming back. And he's going to judge the deeds of men. To you, church, I say, don't give up the good fight. Poke your neighbor and say, don't give up the good fight. Keep on praying. Keep on living that holy life for Christ. The one that's prescribed in this book. Especially the New Testament. Especially the Gospels. Then you'll be ready when he comes back for his church. When the dead in Christ rise first and then all of those who are still alive will be caught up to be with him forever. Hallelujah. That's his promise. That's the blessed hope, saint. Praise the Lord. Here's some good news. We still live in the age of grace. We still live in the age of grace. After Jesus came in the form of a man, after he died on the cross and then rose from the dead on the third day, and after he ascended into heaven where he said he was going there to make intercession for you and me. Do you realize right now he is in heaven praying for us? Seated at the right hand of the Father. God, Pastor Norm needs an extra touch this morning. Touch him, Father. Touch him. (laughs) And I can feel that anointing today. There are prayers that go up for this church. There are prayers that go up for this community. God wants everyone, all men, to be saved. And it isn't going to happen by chance. It only happens when the church gets involved, when we get serious about the business of the Father, and when we live for Him. But after Jesus went to heaven, He didn't leave us as little orphans. No. He sent the Holy Spirit. The third part of the Trinity. God, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit continues to speak to men, women, boys and girls still today. How many of you were in a camp setting and you heard God speak to you and say, come to me and be healed? How many have been forgiven of your sins knowing that it was the Holy Ghost that revealed those things to you that you needed that salvation? He's still doing that today. There are people out there in our community that know what they need, but they just don't want to take that step. And sometimes it requires you and me to go out and pull them in. And I don't mean literally, usually. Although sometimes maybe. They need to hear the truth. They need to hear that God offers them that gift 
of salvation. But the day is coming, my, my friends, that the age of grace is going to come to an end and God will go from being our Savior to our judge. And you want to be in right standing with Him when that day comes. There's no going back. There's no, oh, wait, Lord, oh, I meant to do it, but your fate will be decided when you stop breathing on this planet. Whoever you're serving at that moment is going to determine where you're going to be forever. Today is the day of salvation. All men need to call upon the Lord while He may be found. And if that's you, I implore you, call upon His name if you haven't. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Receive that gift of salvation. Become born again. Hallelujah. Then begin to follow Him and to live your life for God. Stop living that sinful lifestyle. Come out of there. Come out of the world in Jesus' name and follow Him and Him only. That wasn't in my notes. So let's go back. Let's look at what was taking place during the days of Noah. Before the flood, and, and I think most of you know this, we've been going through the uh, different books, but God cursed the earth after Adam sinned. Do you remember that? All right. And then, when Cain killed his brother, he did it again. So the earth literally got a double whammy. Sin brought a double curse on the earth. So what do you think that did? We don't really give this a lot of thought. When God curses something, remember when Jesus went to the fig tree? It wasn't producing, and he said, be cursed and die. And what happened? The next day they went by, and that baby was shriveled up. So here we see God cursing the earth twice. Because of the sins of man, hear me, it wasn't like today. The flood brought restoration the flood brought a cleansing. But during that time of when man sinned and the flood came, the earth had been cursed. It would have been difficult to, to be a farmer, to raise livestock. Prickers and thorns would have been everywhere. How many love prickers and thorns? I hate prickers and thorns. You know, a rose is a beautiful flower, but that thing it's on, that pricker... Those thorns hurt. And that's what it was like. So if you were a farmer, it would have been difficult to raise any kind of crops. Why do you think God would have done that? Why did he curse the ground like that? Hear me. Do you think maybe it was to get the people to realize they needed him? They needed to come to him, repent of their sins, and say, Lord, forgive me for the things that I've done. Listen, what good does it does a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? 
And if everything had been lush and flourishing, people wouldn't have even given God a second thought. But because it was so hard, it would cause them to say, God, I need you today. I need you to bless my plants because they're not growing well. It would have required an attitude from the people of, I need you, and without you I can't go through this life. We see that today. We're so comfy, we don't realize the need. And people are going to hell because they're so comfortable. Well, pastor, are you supposed to be preaching like that? Every pastor on this planet should be preaching like this instead of some warm and fuzzy message. Souls are in the balance, folks. I could care less about how you feel about yourself. Unless you've got Jesus, you're not going to be healthy. Not trying to attack anyone in particular. The harsh reality was people lived differently before the flood. Wickedness had been released, and they were not serving God. There were godly men coming from the line of Seth, but there were also wicked men following from the line of Cain, and we, we realize that as we read these scriptures. And I shared this last, the last time I spoke, Genesis chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. The sons of God saw beautiful women and took any they wanted as their wives. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not put up with humans for his such a long time for their only mortal flesh. In the future, their lifespan will be no more than 120 years. The evil was so bad that Lord, the Lord had told Noah, build a large boat. Again, the boat is the type of Christ. In that, it would save Noah and his family from impending doom or judgment that was about to come on the earth. Do you realize that when you come to Jesus, the judgment you're going to receive is not for your sins, but it's going to be for the good deeds that you have done in the name of Jesus. You're going to receive a reward, not punishment. That's the God we serve when we accept what He did for us. Genesis 6.14 and following says this, Build a large boat or ark from cypress wood. In the, in the King James, it's gopher wood. We don't know what that is, by the way. All right, we don't have a clue what gopher wood is. So it's just one of those things. We just have to kind of move on. Waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Now, this was based on a cubit. And back in the, throughout history, there have been different measurements used for the cubit. Some as short as 17 inches, some as long as 24. Most accept the fact that it's around 18 inches. And that is the case here, that uh, a cubit is 18 inches. That's how they came up with 450 feet, by 75 by 45. Verse 16. Leave an 18-inch opening, that's one cubit, below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Something I want you to see right here, and I, I missed it the first couple of times I read through this. How many doors are there? 
Who had to go through that door? Anyone that wanted to be saved. Oops, hit the wrong one, guys, sorry. John 10, 9 and 10. I am the door, Jesus said. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Is that not what happened with the ark? With all the animals that went on that boat, with Noah and his family, they went in, God sealed the door, the floods came, the earth was cleansed, and then they finally landed on a high place, and they went out where they found green pastures. Hallelujah. The thief, though, on the other hand, does not come except to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. And that's the New King James Version. Jesus is the door. The only way to God is through Him. There is no other way to heaven but through the Son. Am I making myself clear today? Hallelujah. Back to verse 17, chapter 6. Look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. But I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife, your sons and their wives. That's important to remember. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of animals of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. So how are the animals getting there? Do we see that today? Have you heard of migration? How do they know? Now I don't know how God discreetly had two little bunnies come. And the rest didn't get the message? I don't know. But the Bible says that's what happened. There were two horses or zebras or whatever those things looked like back then that came to the boat. There were two trisoperuses. Am I saying that right? Trisoper. Yeah, thank you. Triceratopses. <laughs> two. And only two. The rest of them didn't get the message. But that's how God did it. Now, wait a minute. There were dinosaurs on the ark? We'll get to that in just a minute. Stay with me. Be sure to take on board enough food for you, your family, and for all the animals. No small task here. So Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. And this brings us to another place where we must follow after what God tells us to do. You can't do it your way and win. You must follow Jesus. You must follow His instructions. You can't do it your way and win. Hallelujah. I'm feeling like this is hitting somebody really hard today. Because you've been living on both sides. And the Holy Spirit's here to say, Stop. Stop. Get right with me and live for me. Stop trying to have a foot in both worlds. It does not work. And it's deceiving people around you, brother, sister. It's deceiving your family because they're not sure 
what you're doing. And they don't get it. Don't you want them to see the blessings of God in your life and to be able to say, look, I follow him and look at what he's doing. But instead, you're trying to live on both sides and it's just not working. And then your kids are having to make a decision. Do I live for God or do, do I do my own thing? And they're seeing how you're living and they're well, it ain't working for mom or dad. This is not in my message. Somebody's hearing this. Hebrews 11:7. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God. He warned him about things that had never happened before. This had never happened. So when he started telling people, repent, God's bringing judgment. Oh, come on, brother. What? What do you mean you're building an ark? For what? You see water? Oh, no, the waves are coming, the waves are coming. I can just imagine the ridicule that they would have received. Every time they went into town to get supplies, people would have made fun of them. They would have mocked them. My guess is they had a a permanent perch somewhere where they could oversee the work. Hey, let's go out and pick on Noah and his family today. Yeah, I'm going after Shem. (laughs) Godly people. (laughs) Who needs them? Do we not face the same thing? When you follow Jesus and people know that you do, are you not mocked? Oh yeah, I need God. Now I'm saying this in jest because I do need God. But people, when they see you living for Him, what do they do? They make fun. They try to get you to come over to their side. Oh yes, can I? I want to live forever in hell. Please let me. Uh Uh-uh. No. It takes faith to believe. It takes faith to stand up to the persecution and the pressures that come from the world today. Just as it did for Noah during his day. And he was rewarded and honored for it. By faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Here's the problem, and this is why you get picked on. When people see you living for Jesus righteously, it condemns them. The light shines so bright on their sin that they can't take it. And that's why you bother them. It's not you. It's not how you look. It's not who you are other than who you are in Jesus. And that brings condemnation. Noah believed God. And he did what he said. He built an ark and it was an amazing, amazing feat of engineering. Do you realize they still use some of those principles today to build modern fleets? Because it works. That boat can go almost 90 degrees and it's going to come back down. Now, I wouldn't want to be on the inside when it did that. I've been on a a cruise ship once and we went through some 15-foot waves and it was a little bit bumpy. 
Can't imagine having 100 foot waves where that baby's going almost perpendicular. <laughs> but God took care of them. Through the heaviest storms, that boat survived. What about the timing? I want to talk about that briefly. How long did it take Noah to build the ark? See, and this is a common belief. Why? Because of that scripture I read. God said, I'm not going to tolerate man's sin anymore. I'm going to shorten his life to 120 years. I want to show you how long it took. And this is approximate. Dr. Ken Ham feels, and I'm inclined to agree with him, that that 120 years was actually a time clock that started from the moment God revealed this to them up until the flood came. God was not going to tolerate man any longer in his sin, and therefore, within 120 years, the flood would come. The reason, and this is how he justifies this, how long did people live after the flood? Did anybody live longer than 120 years? Yes, they did, for a while. So was the Bible wrong? Not if it was referring to the time between when God spoke this and the flood came. It all makes sense. It all lines up. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how long it took Noah and his family to build the ark. But we can gather from the Bible that it was between, on the short end, 10 years, on the long end, 80. And here's why. In Genesis 5.32, the NIV says, and there's a reason I'm quoting this, after Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. How old was he? 500 years. The reason that I'm quoting the NIV is the NIV makes it sound like he already had his children at the age of 500. But that's not the case. He was just beginning his family. When the flood came in Genesis 7-6, Noah was 600 years old. How long is that? That gives us a 100-year time frame in between before Noah had kids and the flood came. Now, we have to take into account that God called the whole family to go on that boat with their wives, boys with their wives, right? Remember that? Japheth was Noah's first son when he was 500. Then Shem came along. Genesis 11, 11 tells us that Shem was 100 two years after the great flood. All right? So Noah would have been 502 when he had Shem. You still with me? Last was Ham, and we would, if we used the same kind of time period, about a couple of years or so, then there would have been about 95, 94 years until the flood came after Ham had been born. But then we can assume that Noah's youngest, Ham, would have been at least 16 years old before he went out and found a wife and married. Would you agree with that? So if we add that to the already, let's say, six years, we have a 16-year-old in six years, which would be 
22 years from the 100-year total duration, which would bring us to around 78 years or so. You with me? In Genesis 6.18, it says, they were all instructed to build the ark. I think I've got that up there. Right there. But I will confirm my covenant with you, so enter the boat, you, your wife, and your sons and their wives. They were all told to go into this ark, to build this ark. Okay? I like how creationtips.com puts this in a mathematical formulation. This is how they constructed the ark. A single side of the ark was 300 cubits long and 30 cubits high. And I'm quoting them, by the way. That's 9,000 square cubits, or around 1,881 square meters, or 20,250 square feet. Now, if you remember all that, I'm impressed. But that's not really that important. Just listen to why I bring that out. Assuming Noah and his three sons each prepared two square meters of the ark each day. Are there any construction people here? Will? Could you do a couple meters, square meters a day? With help. All right? So that'd be a lot of work, but you could do it. All right. That's the point. One side of the ark would be finished, with this in mind, two square meters each day, in 235 days. Now that's less than eight months. At the same rate, the other side would be finished in 16 months, allowing time for support scaffolds, the base, the roof, window ledges, pens, and cages inside to keep the animals, and then time to coat it with pitch, Allow for days off, cutting time, sick leave, a, long, a week-long vacation every now and then, and various other activities, they should still have well and truly finished this job within seven years. If they worked faster or if they hired workmen to help with the job, which they could have, they could have been finished in a few years, end quote. Now you might be thinking, really? I wanted to share this with you. This again is on creationtips.com. To show that the ark could be built quickly, Dutch creationist Johann Hubers built his own ark of cedar and pine. The BBC News reported on April the 29, 2007, that Hubers had built a half-sized replica of Noah's ark in the town of, and I don't know if I'm saying this right, but S-C-H-A-G-E-N, Shagen, Shagen, I don't know what it is. Skagen, I'm not sure how Dutch people talk. It was 150 cubits long, half the real ark size, and it had three stories, life-size models of giraffes, elephants, lions, crocodiles, zebras, and bison inhabited the ark's interior. How long did it take Hubers to build this half-size replica? Two years. Now, this is only half, but two years. One guy did most of the work. This summer, we're going to get to see this. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Somebody told me this morning, there's, over, there's millions of dollars they've invested in this at the Creation Science Museum down just across the border of, in Kentucky from, ten, from uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. It's going to be awesome. I want to see it. What does this tell us? That it was doable. 
it was very possible for God to have placed this idea on Noah's heart and for him to be able to build this along with his family. It isn't some far-fetched idea. What about the space? What about the fact that all the animals would have to live on this ark for a year, a little more than a year? What about that? How would they have all fit? Is it possible? I'd like to show that video now, just a real short clip from ICR. I think you'll like this. It's very short. So this will explain a couple things better than I could. I appreciate ICR because they gave me permission to use these videos in my messages. It just shows that it was very possible for these animals to come to literally get on the ark. Amen? The actual floor space would have been equivalent to about 20 regular-sized basketball courts. Recognizing that the animals came two by two and most likely were adolescent size rather than the full grown-up size would mean that this floating barn would have enough room for all of them. We need to take into account that only the air-breathing animals had to be on the ark. Obviously, the fish, the crabs, the dolphins, the whales, the leviathans, whatever they looked like, would not have had to have been on the boat because they could breathe in the water, right? So that also would have allowed limited space on the ark. You'd also be able, and I, I just thought of this yesterday, you'd also be able to fish after the storm kind of subsided because they were on the ark a little over a year before they finally left it. And when you think about that, the, the, the flood was only, what, 40, 40 days, 40 nights. So beyond that, they could have... That's why I like to fish. I must be one of Noah's... Uh, we're all one of Noah's, yeah. Some feel the ark was equipped with some type of a cistern where it would collect rainwater. How else would they have had fresh water? The oceans would have been different back then too. We also need to keep in mind that God was the one supervising this effort. The design of the boat, bringing the animals to the ark, and how many realize that even today, bears do what? They hibernate. Tony just told me he saw bear tracks out at the camp, so they're coming out of the den now. Well, what does that mean? Could God have caused the animals to go into a deep sleep? He's God. He can do whatever he wants. And it would have meant that they wouldn't have been eating as much as animals that were fully alive and growing and running. And I'm guessing they didn't have a deck where they... They walked around it every day. Here's the other thing. There would only have to be one kind of each pair of animals. When we look at the dash hound or the chihuahua, ay, chihuahua, when we look at those little guys, what did they come from? A dog. <laughs> at the beginning, there was a dog. There was a pair of dogs. And those dogs led to each of these. And, and through uh, uh, selective breeding, 
You can come up with just about anything you want. What are some of the new ones? Those new poodle dogs that... Labradoodle. Who thinks of this stuff? You know? I see these little dash hounds and their feet are like this big. That's cruel. They can't run anywhere. They're going to get eaten. But we can do these things with selective breeding. So it wouldn't have required every animal that you see out there. The hundreds of versions of finches. No. Two finches would have been enough for all the finches that Darwin saw on that island. Amen. Okay, let's go back to Genesis. Chapter 7. When everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, Go into the boat with all your family, for, for among all the people of the earth I can see that you alone are righteous. Take with you seven pairs, male and female, of each animal I have approved for eating and for sacrifice, and take one pair of each for the, of the others. Also take seven pairs of every kind of bird. You can read a lot clearer behind me, but... There must be a male and a female in each pair to ensure that all life will survive on the earth after the flood. you got to have a male and a female. That's all there is. If you're going to recreate things, it requires both. Seven days from now, I will make the rains pour down on the earth, and it will rain for 40 days and 40 nights till I've wiped from the earth all the living things that I've created. So Noah did everything as the Lord commanded. Again, Noah is faithful. He's doing what God has told him to do. Verse 6, Noah was 600 years old when the flood covered the earth. That's where I got that number. He went on board the boat to escape the flood, he and his wife and his sons and their wives. With them were all the various kinds of animals, those approved for eating and for sacrifice, and those that were not, along with the birds and small animals that scurry along the ground. I'll get into this a little bit more next week as far as the sacrificial animals and that. But this week, just... Run with it. They entered the boat in pairs, male and female, just as God had commanded Noah. After seven days, the waters of the flood came and covered the earth. When Noah was 600 years old, on the 17th day of the second month, all the underground waters erupted from the earth, and the rain fell in mighty torrents from the sky. The rain continued to fall for 40 days and 40 nights. That very day, Noah had gone into the boat with his wife and his son, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. With them in the boat were pairs of every kind of animal, domestic and wild, large and small, along with birds of every kind. Two by two they came into the boat, representing every living thing that breathes. A male and a female of each kind entered, just as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. For 40 days, the floodwaters grew deeper, covering the ground and lifting the boat high above the earth. As the waters rose higher and higher above the ground, the boat floated safely on the surface. Finally, the water covered even the highest mountains on the earth, rising more than 22 feet above the highest peaks. All the living things on the earth died, birds, domestic animals, wild animals, small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the people. Last few verses. Everything that breathed and lived on the dry land died. 
God wiped out every living thing on the earth. People, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and the birds of the sky. All were destroyed. The only people who survived were Noah and those with him on the boat. And the floodwaters covered the earth for 150 days. Would you stand with me? The timing and the building of the ark and then God keeping all the right animals alive during that time so that the earth's population could be restarted. It is not a far-fetched story. We can trust the Bible. And certainly as the wicked people of his day saw Noah building this ark, they mocked him. We've already talked about that. They probably threw things at him, tomatoes. Maybe they even went over and painted graffiti on the side of the ark. I don't know. But they didn't get it, that their life was about to end. They weren't even aware that something horrendous was about to hit. God did warn them, but they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't repent. But Noah and his family were smart enough to listen to God and not let the wicked people of their generation influence them. And Noah's faith in God resulted in the salvation of not only he and his family, but all the animals and the birds that we have yet today. Hopefully the same can be said about you and about your family, mighty man, mighty woman of God. You need to lead your families to God and not away from them. You need to cling to the truths of the Bible and not fall to the lies, the temptations that the world throws at us daily. We shouldn't be letting the worries or the pleasures of the earth rob us from the blessings that God wants to give us. But you can't have both. If you're being blessed, it's because you're living for Him and you're following Jesus. You need to make church a priority. You need to keep strong in your faith. Your family will not only be saved if you'll do these things, but they will have abundant life as a result of your faithfulness. And in the end, you will be rewarded, they will be rewarded with everlasting life. Now we have been sealed by the blood of the Lamb. Just as that door was sealed on the ark to protect those people once they entered it from the storms outside, you and I have been sealed as we went through the door of Christ. And His blood will keep us protected as long as we're on this earth. That you can bank on. Would you bow your heads with me? We all have a choice, and I, I had this little thing behind me with your heads bowed, you can't see it, but... You need to choose one. <laughs> it's so simple. God's plan is always so simple. 
It's man that complicates it. You choose. You say, Pastor, you did this last time you were here. You gave us a choice. Yep. I'm giving you another one today. You choose Jesus, the door, or you choose no God. You choose to be godless. And by not choosing Jesus, you're choosing to be godless. That's a fact. Choose life through Christ who offers you his salvation. Choose eternal life that places you in the right place forever and ever and ever. Don't choose to live without God. Don't listen to the naysayers who are trying to convince the world there's no need for God. We have the Big Bang Theory. We all came from nothing. It was by chance that all of these things happened. And here we are today. As I've been trying to show you over the last several teachings, there's another answer. And that's through Jesus. God created us all. Created everything there is on this planet. It was designed to be what it is, and it works well. That's why. It didn't happen by chance. It's mathematically impossible for anything, as we see here today, to have come from nothing. Mathematically impossible. I dare anyone to prove me otherwise. Here's the thing. If you ignore God's love and His forgiveness... Just like the days, like the people in the days of Noah, judgment is coming. And you're going to come up short on merits. And your chosen destiny is going to lead to you being separated from God forever. Where you will languish in a hell that was not created for you, but for the devil and his cohorts. The Lord never intended any of his children to be there, but... By not choosing Christ, by not going through the door of Christ, in a matter of speaking, you're choosing death. We don't know how much longer we have before God's grace comes to an end. It could be today, it could be at the end of this week, it could be in a year. We just don't know. But what is important is that you and your family are ready if you're not. Just as Noah prepared for the great flood, we must prepare for the return of Jesus Christ. We must be convinced that we are saved by faith. We must go through that one door that God prepared for us, for those who love Him. We pray you enjoyed this message from Pastor Norm Oberlin. If you would like to partner with Mount Hope Church, you can make your tax-deductible donation online at GaylorChurch.com. From there, just click on Give Online Now. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to be with you again next week.